0: Hey everyone, Gil Gross here. Thanks for listening to the Monday Match Analysis Podcast. This is, of course, a very special weekend, so uh, I wanted to make sure I do something special on this platform. I have done uh, breakdowns and post-match analyses of both semi-final matches, and moments ago, I just put up a finals preview. Of course, Djokovic and Nadal are going to meet on Sunday, for the 2020 Roland Garros title. So what I've done here is I've put both previews and then I put the final prediction at the end of this one. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this. And I really appreciate it if you rate and review and enjoy the tennis on Sunday, everyone. Post-match Rafael Nadal versus Diego Schwartzman 2020 Roland Garros semifinal. If you're not here for spoilers, click off the video in three, two, one. It was Rafa Nadal coming through in straight sets, 6-3, 6-3, 7-6. On Sunday, he will play for his incredible 13th French Open title. He'll face the winner of Stefanos Tsitsipas and Novak Djokovic. I'm recording this video before that match um, has uh, been started. All right, let's start off by making the Rome comparison. Diego Schwartzman, a guy who beat Nadal two weeks ago on a clay court. It was really closer to to three weeks ago, I think. What was the difference here? I'll tell you what the difference was. The difference was Rafael Nadal. The difference was not the conditions. The difference was not Diego Schwartzman played terrible today and he played great in Rome. No, the difference was Rafael Nadal. The Rafael Nadal that we saw today would have smoked the Rome version of Rafael Nadal on any surface, in any conditions, period. This was not because the match was played in the day instead of the night. This was not because Schwartzmann flopped. He didn't. And I'll give you some, some analysis and some evidence for why I don't think this was about Schwartzmann playing poorly. This was about Nadal deploying all of the advantages he has over Diego Schwartzman. There is a reason the head-to-head here is to 9-1 in favor of the Spaniard. And today we saw again that if Rafa Nadal reaches a certain level, a level which I believe he reached today, there is nothing Diego Schwartzman can really do. And I don't think there is anything Schwartzman could have done in that match the way Nadal was playing, he simply can't get to that level. There are too many disadvantages he has when he stares down Rafa Nadal on the other side of the net. In short, just to summarize the general kind of problem that Schwartzman has, and this is this is a common thing that we've seen with uh, with really all all of the big three, is Schwartzman does these things incredibly well: uh, point construction, consistency. Uh, turning defense into offense, shot tolerance, evenness off both the, the forehand and, and the backhand. It gives him a, a, a tremendous ability to win neutral rallies. And it's the reason, and he has an unbelievable return that puts him in these neutral rallies. But Nadal is just as good in all those areas where Schwarzman cannot match Nadal is the early aggression, the firepower off the forehand side, the serve plus one. And whenever Nadal was able to get an upper hand in the point early and and use his early aggression and use his big forehand and play more aggressive and change direction as much as as Schwartzman was, uh, Nadal had the upper hand whenever he did that. He had the advantage in this match. And you can really see that if you look at the rally length and how the longer the point went Nadal's advantage would actually be eliminated and it became a 50-50 proposition in rallies over nine shots Schwartzman won 34 Nadal won 33 so remember the longer you go after the serve the more the more shots elapsed after the serve in theory the more you have a neutral baseline rally and Schwartzman's unbelievable he's so good He can hang with Nadal in that. Most players can't. Schwartzman can, because he's that good. But Nadal, who hit his serve really well in this, or pretty well in this match, about 70% on first serve, over 60% first serve points won, well over um, 60%. uh, Nadal was able to kind of have an advantage right off the bat, off of his serve. So you could see in rallies 8-5 to shots, Nadal won 38, Schwartzman 25. Zero to four shots. Nadal won 42, Schwartzman 27. So Nadal was winning the quick points. Why? Because his forehand is bigger, because his serve is bigger, because he has more quick and easy offense in the beginning of the of the rallies, which he can, um, w- which gives him an advantage on serve that Schwartzman really didn't have. Another adjustment that Nadal made. Is he moved up on Schwartzman's second serve and really attacked uh, the second serve, which was huge for him. I'll try to pull up the second serve stats. Uh, Schwartzman won 38% of his second serve points, Nadal won 53%. Um, so these are things that swung the match in favor of Nadal. Now I want to go chronologically to talk about this match. And in the first set Nadal played with a lot of high margin. He wasn't taking a lot of risk whether it be on the return, whether it be on uh, early in the rally on serve, Nadal was was passive. So Schwartzman looked right in it. He was right there early in this early in that match they were going toe to toe, super long grinding baseline rallies, but it, it just looked like a really good tight match being played on Schwartzman's terms. That uh, to be completely honest. But then as Nadal settled in, and Schwartzman had his chances to build an early lead, an early advantage, and couldn't do that, uh, mostly because he wasn't winning points on on serve, so they were kind of just breaking each other back, break points in all of the games early on. Uh, As soon as Nadal settled in, and it just took a couple games, and that's not surprising, Nadal sometimes comes out and plays with higher margin to start the match. But once Nadal got comfortable, settled in, started going for more risk off the return, started going bigger early in rallies on serve, and started changing direction a lot more in these baseline rallies. As soon as Nadal got more aggressive, he had the upper hand, and and he pushed Schwartzman around, bullied him a little bit. It built Nadal a 5-4 lead, or or, excuse me, a 5-3 lead, uh, serving for the first set. And at this point in the day, there was a shadow along the baseline on Nadal's side of the court. And in this game, Nadal serving at 5-3, trying to close out the first set, Rafa looked incredibly uncomfortable. He was not hitting his ground strokes with authority. They were landing very, very short in the court. He shanked a backhand. He shanked a forehand. I think the, sh- the shadow was really bothering Rafa Nadal. So a lot of players at this point would become frustrated. They would kind of throw their hands up. I can't believe my luck. I'm trying to serve out the set and you- I have the shadow and I can't play. And a lot of players would lose focus and they would flame out. And they would, for lack of a better phrase, kind of give up. And the way Schwartzman was serving, Nadal could have changed ends at 5-4. The change of ends was, was right there. And of course, Nadal is aware of that. He, he was one game away. If he, if he got his serve broken, he could have just changed ends and he probably would have had a good chance to break for the first set and win at 6-4. But this is where Nadal's mental resiliency comes in. This is where Nadal's just mentality where he always tries his best no matter what. Again, trying your best. This isn't rocket science. This sounds like something you tell your second grader, uh, a, a little a little kid when they're out on the rec soccer field. Oh, try your best. But in the French Open semifinals, trying your best on every single point still comes into play. It doesn't matter what level you're at. And this is just a point in the match where I know so many tennis players would have gotten negative and flamed out and lost this 5-3 service game because the shadow was bothersome. But Nadal simply tried his best. Um and from deuce he hits an unbelievable Cross-court backhand winner, where he actually stepped into the court, inside the court, avoided the shadow. This was a long 20-plus shot rally. One of the best shots of the of the match and most important shots of the match for Nadal was this ripping cross-court backhand winner. And then on set point, Diego hit a backhand unforced error. But Nadal also got help from his serve here. Keep in mind, Nadal gets a service winner down 15-30. Um... And if that didn't happen, he also could have been in trouble. So help from the serve, a big backhand, a couple of errors. I think two errors in this game from Schwartzman. Nadal escapes and wins this first set 6-3. I just want to hammer home. Mental game. A lot of players would have lost that service game. Plain and simple. Nadal always tries his best. Never gets negative. Even when the shadow is in the worst possible place. So I'd like to hammer that home. Second set, Nadal looked very much in charge early, and this was a very well-played second set from Rafa. I do think that there was a turning point, uh, or a possible turning point, that happened in the service game at 3-2. Nadal up a break serving, and Diego hits a, a great backhand down the line winner, first point of the game. Then he hits a circus squash forehand pass down the line, and suddenly Schwartzman has a love 30 chance, a great chance to to even up this second set and kind of get back into the match. And from here, Nadal's level is just absurdly good. Uh, Nadal, uh, from 15-30, because Schwartzman hits a backhand on forced error at love 30, a gorgeous dictating point from Rafa Nadal culminating in an overhead winner for 30 all, and the forehand set up two overheads from Nadal. He finished the second one. Then a massive forehand inside-out winner from Nadal, absolutely nuclear, too big for Schwartzman to handle, and then a serve plus drop shot forehand winner to save, or not to save, at 40-30 for the hold. So from that point, it really looked like a point where Schwartzman could have gotten back into the match. Nadal came up with some great tennis, uh, preserves his one-hold advantage and ultimately wins this second set 6-3. In the third set, it's more of the same, and Nadal is up a break, but I don't know if he got—I think he got tired. It, it seemed like he just got a little bit tired, and the intensity of the footwork and the racket speed kind of dropped off, and it resulted in just Schwartzman getting a lot— uh, much much more comfortable balls on his side of the court Uh, and you know, I don't know if it was Nadal mentally getting passive as much as it was just physically kind of having a little bit of a drop off here in the third set. Keep in mind, these rallies were long and grueling and physical. So, and, and this match was taking a really long time. It was a three hour match, even though it was a three set match. So I think Nadal got a little bit weary in the third set and Schwartzman really got back in it here. And he forced 5-all, and Nadal got into trouble at 5-all, uh, down 15-40. And then again, you have a situation where Nadal does things that Schwartzman is not going to do, because he's not going to be able to do it. Nadal hits two early forehand winners. Then, from deuce, he goes down, out-out, add-out again, and saves a break point with a serve and volley only his second serve volley of the match. And then he hits a service winner to close. So I continue to point out ways where Nadal is, is winning points when in, in ways that Schwartzman really cannot. You're not going to see Schwartzmann really win points with his serve volley or his serve plus one from the forehand with the way Nadal was returning. Uh, you're not going to see Schwartzmann really get a lot of service winners. He did hit one ace in this match. That was part of the third set turnaround, actually, as Schwartzman hit an ace, and it, it actually kind of seemed like it gave him some energy. But again, Nadal has too much in this matchup. Too much power. Too much firepower early in rallies. And then once the rally gets going, I don't want to make it sound like that's all Nadal has, because then once once you get to neutral, Nadal can win a ton of points from there. Now, Schwartzman is now in a position where he can tango. But just, just because he can tango doesn't mean he has the upper hand all the time. So it's not it's a matchup where if Nadal plays his best and he served way better than he did in Rome, he had his forehand way better than he did in Rome, he had his backhand way better than he did in Rome, he moved way better than he did in Rome. When Nadal plays as well as he played in this match, there's not much Schwartzmann can do. That's why the head-to-head is now 10-1. to No disrespect to Diego, who is an unbelievable player, who I admire to the moon, and who's had a great tournament, and I'm very happy for him. Um, And it's an unbelievable win that he had against Dominic Team in the quarterfinal. A great week, a great two weeks, rather. Very well-deserved, but Nadal was way too good on this occasion, and there is nothing the Argentine could have done. Adjustments from Nadal also tactically to move in on the on the serve, which I, I know I highlighted in the beginning of the video. I'll just say it one more time because that's the kind of thing that makes Nadal great. Um, all right, it is time for me to watch Djokovic Titipas. I will have a recap video after that one. Post match Novak Djokovic versus Stefanos Titipas in the 2020 French Open semi-finals. If you don't want spoilers, click off the video in three, two, one. It took five sets, but Novak Djokovic comes through. He will meet Rafael Nadal in Sunday's final, the 56th meeting all-time between those two, the 8th in a French Open final. That's for another video. For now, let's talk about this semifinal. And before I forget, because I know I will, I want to take this time to say, Really positive tournament for Stefanos Tsitsipas. Avoided disaster in the first round. Then he had a win over Andrei Rublev, which he can take tons of confidence from. Uh, To beat your peer like that in such commanding fashion should be a win he feels really good about. And then made an excellent showing for himself against Novak, especially when you take into account what happened last time he played a semifinal against a member of the Big Three in a Grand Slam. It was not close last year in Australia when he played Novak. It, it was, it was ugly. So, uh, a step up and a really positive tournament, and he should be proud of himself. As for this match, a challenge for Djokovic because of how volatile this match would become. Let me just get into kind of the general, I'd say, you know, chronological gist of things. And then I'll get into a couple of key areas where Djokovic excelled. In the beginning of the match, it really just seemed like a mental mismatch. Novak seemed calm, of course, you know, he, but he seemed within himself and composed, and you know, very comfortable. And Titi not had that, you know, and it's this version of Stefanos Tsitsipas that, unfortunately, we've become all too familiar with, just the the very over emotional intense Stefanos Tsitsipas. But I should take the in away from the front f- from the front of the word and just say tense, because intense is good, but tense is bad. It's just how the connotations work. And he was tense. He lost triple break point in the first game of this match. Novak held. Played a really loose game in the in his first in his opening service game after losing those three chances to go down to Love to start the match. And from there, whenever he had a chance to get back in the match, whenever he had a good opportunity, a pressure point on Djokovic's serve, he basically missed a forehand on every example of one of these points. And the way he was missing. He was jumping out of his shoes. He was swinging too hard. He was overhitting. If you could kind of catch my drift here, he got overexcited. He was too tense. He was not relaxed. A very big contrast to Djokovic on the other side of the court, who was just brilliantly counterpunching and, you know, taking whatever Pass got him uh, or gave him rather and just Playing, playing pretty good tennis, but actually he, he could have played a lot better. I think Djokovic was at Djokovic had a bunch of gears that he never really had to reach because Titi Pas was given him quite a bit of errors, especially under pressure in the first set. In the second set, the level was a little bit higher, but the same themes prevailed. Djokovic broke Titi Pas twice in this second set from forty love down. And on a lot of those points, Tsitsipas was actually in the driver's seat, in control. But one thing that Novak really showed off in this match was his court coverage. And being the, the creative and angle-proficient player that Stefano Tsitsipas is, he really brought Novak's movement out. But Djokovic was just up to the task. And oftentimes, Novak would win points that he... Seem- seemingly had no business winning the first break of serve in the second set. Tsitsipas had two points, had uh, two missed overheads in that game. Not to mention a circus pass that Djokovic somehow pulled off on the open sp- on the open stance backhand. So there were a lot of examples of Novak's defense forcing Tsitsipas to play the extra ball, and Stefanos ultimately hitting the unforced error. And it was no different at four all. When Novak broke to take a 5-4 lead in the third set. Djokovic served for the match. He had a match point. So, you know, I was almost talking about a straight set victory here. Match point in the third set. 6-3, 6-2 were the first two sets. But the scoreboard was not indicative of how close the match was being played. Because Tsitsipas was playing a lot of great points. Doing a lot of great things. Uh, pushing Djokovic in a lot of ways. Yet, when the pressure was on, he never came up with uh, with what he needed to come up with. It's basically how the first two and a half sets went. But at 5-4, Djokovic serving for it on the match point, he goes for a pretty ambitious down-the-line backhand. I don't want to overanalyze it because it's just one point. It was a little bit risky to go for that. And he missed it in the doubles alley. Wide pass break serve. And then from five all, Stefanos was close to unplayable. And and you just got to give him credit. He got really really hot. And his backhand down the line was causing massive problems. As it as it always will. If pass has that shot going, it's going to be he's going to be a lot more difficult to deal with because Djokovic just really couldn't rely on using the backhand as an escape valve for defense, which, which he often can do against Pass. But also, he missed another down-the-line backhand in a big spot at 5-all after being broken a serve for the match. And then for a large portion of this match, Novak didn't have his down-the-line backhand anymore. It just wasn't his friend. He wasn't going for it. Really, for about an hour, I thought Novak wasn't hitting his down-the-line backhand and I thought that was a really big factor in an overall trend of Novak just getting a little bit more passive. But at the same time, Tsitsipas was no longer being uh, being coaxed into errors by Novak's defense. So you had that flip. No longer was Tsitsipas kind of missing that extra ball. If he needed to hit two, three, four, five shots in a row that would normally finish the point... He was okay to do that. He got in that rhythm. And he developed that confidence after probably just feeling like, well, I almost lost the match and somehow I'm still in it. So pas steals that third set. And in the fourth set, the two trade breaks. And Novak is, is still playing pretty well in this set. And the, the tennis is good. But you have a major shift in this match. And that shift is Djokovic, who was O for 10 before finally, excuse me, Tsitsipas, who was O for 10 before finally converting breakpoint with Djokovic serving for the match at 5-4. Was zero for 10. Was zero for 5 in the first set. o for 3 in the second set. Um finally. Tsitsipas converted the break point with Novak serving for it, but it flipped. Novak in the fourth set. One for ten on break points. And you gotta give the the young Greek credit. You can put a montage together of these points. Djokovic wasn't really missing. He was just never in a position to win any of these points. It was always Tsitsipas in charge. And I think the way you look at that is... When it comes to a first serve, it's almost, you know, excusable. Where I think Djokovic will look back at the match and be regretful in this fourth set is the aggressiveness on his second serve returning, where Novak, there were a couple of occasions on a second serve return on break point where he just didn't do anything with it, and Tsitsipas made him pay. Let me take this second to, this, this moment to say, Tsitsipas is going to win a French Open with his forehand. It is a potent tool on this surface. The angles he produces, the way he's able to dictate with that shot on clay, he's going to win this tournament with that shot. So it is not something that is easy to deal with. So I want to make that clear. But, but Djokovic was a little passive here. All in all, there were a lot of big points where it seemed like he was waiting for the Pass error that he was getting in the beginning of this match. He wasn't getting it anymore. It wasn't coming anymore. And it took a while for Novak to adjust. Arguably, he he didn't adjust until until the fifth and final set. At 4-5 at in the fourth set, Novak gets broken from 40-15 up. And he just has a really bad backhand game. So that kind of goes back to the trend where Novak kind of lost his backhand for the better part of the fourth set. Still was able to hang in there. Still was able to play. But he wasn't really doing what he needed to do because he didn't have that shot uh, like he usually does. In the fifth set, at one-all, Novak um, makes the adjustment. And just raises the quality on his return when he needed it. Um, he got a lot of returns, second serve returns in particular to the Tsitsipas backhand. Got out to a 15-40 lead. And then finished with a backhand drop shot. Which I, I certainly need to talk about if I'm going to analyze this match. Because it was money for Djokovic. And you could argue, you could argue that the entire tournament kind of led up to this match where Novak probably needed the drop shot especially when Titi Pas started getting really consistent from the back of the court and unleashing his power but also just all in all it was a point that it was a play that was incredibly efficient for Novak part of that was the shot selection was great part of that was Titi Pas was drifting back whereas Hachinov and PCB were kind of holding their ground on the baseline. So that's a big factor. Uh, Novak really didn't hit a lot that you looked at and you said, well, that wasn't great shot selection. He waited until he got a short ball. He waited until he was in good position. But then he went to it comfortably and often when he had the opportunity to do so. And he was really reading TT Pass well when, uh, when Stefanos when was able to get up to it. Part of that is on Stefanos. And I, I've covered this before, but Tsitsipas has this really, really, anno- to me it's annoying to watch because I've picked up on this trend for a long time ago. He goes down the line. He, he punches it deep down the line every time he gets to a drop shot. Every single time. And I picked up on this when he played Nick Kyrgios at the City Open because Kyrgios is just, again, he's a drop shot artist. He drop shots all the time. So because Pas was doing the same thing with it every time in that match, I started to pick up on it. And since then, I, I've taken note and I was watching it for this match. And sure enough, Pas just, he does not have any variation when he gets up to the drop shot. It's always deep down the line. What Novak did a lot, was he would actually he knew it was he, he knew it was going to be punched deep so he didn't want to let the ball bounce and then have to hit a passing shot from from beyond the baseline when CT was in position at the net what Novak did very wisely over and over again in this match was simply cover the line step inside the court hit a volley take it out of the air and lob over Stefanos's head it's not the only way he won points off drop shots and he won a lot of points outright off the drop shot, but that was just something that he could go to when he needed it. Titi Pass also tried a lot of drop shots but was much less successful because Novak was so much better when he got up to the ball. He he just he did more with it. I don't think it's because Titi Pass's drop shots were significantly worse or Novak is so much significantly faster, although he's a little faster. I think it was just because he does he does better when he gets up to it, so he gets the break. Novak does in the fifth set. At this point, I think Tsitsipas is physically kind of has to tap out. Um, he did a lot of hard work to get back into the match, and Novak plays really really well and put puts the match away and wins the fifth set six one. So it was a lot about who is playing better in big points and they had to feel each other out and novak was having so much success on defense in the beginning and then suddenly he wasn't and then i think it took him a second to adjust and it took him that fourth set to figure out what was going on and the fact and uh, tt Pass just let him know okay you're going to need to do a little bit more and novak ended up having that in the tank so a good match for both a an entertaining match to watch A herky-jerky, kind of strange match that came down to a couple points. A match that wasn't always represented well by the scoreboard because it always felt pretty close, uh, even if the scoreboard wasn't saying that. Uh, But ultimately, Novak is the player who, who has a little bit... a lot more options, more ways to win the point, and got passive to a fault at times, but was the better player, and consistently had a little uh, had more ways to win the point. Um, look out for the finals preview, Djokovic Nadal, episode number fifty six coming your way. It is time for a preview of Rafael Nadal versus Novak Djokovic for the fifty sixth time in the twenty twenty French Open final. One of the few good things that has happened this year is the tennis match that is about to be played, and uh, it's very, very exciting. Both players have been outstanding uh, throughout the tournament. Nadal has yet to drop a set. He's had some some escapes. There's been some times where it, it's seemingly about to go against him, and, and he's pulled it out. Djokovic has had to struggle at times in the last couple rounds, first set against PCB. Uh, Goes five sets against Stefanos Tsitsipas and just has way more in the end with uh, Stefanos physically not able to really contest Novak in the fifth set. But the overarching theme has been these two champions, when they have needed to raise their level and be better than the guy across the net. They have done that at all times, consistently, and they've been the two best players in the tournament by far. As I do... Uh, I will make an argument for Djokovic, then I will make an argument for Nadal. I like to start with the underdog usually, and Novak is a slight betting underdog, so I'll start with him, and then I will give you my pick. So the the thing I want to start with is something that is probably different from any other time that these two have played at the French Open. And it's kind of long been my opinion that when it comes to movement, Nadal is the best mover on clay of all time. Novak is the best mover on hard and grass of all time, but right now in the state in the at the stages that these two are are at in their career, Novak's body has held up a little better than Nadal's and he's he hasn't lost as much of his movement. Nadal has lost more of that. So, I think for the first time in this match at the French Open Djokovic is actually going to cover the court better, and he has that edge. So the the only reason I wanted to start with that advantage is because that probably has never been an advantage for, for Novak in a Roland Garros match against Nadal. The second thing is the serve. I haven't been overly impressed with how Nadal has served. However, he has... He has, won. he has done this oftentimes at the French, where he's just taken a lot off of his first serve and has kind of used it to start the point. And he's so good behind his serve that it doesn't really matter. But there have been times where his first serve percentage has dipped down below where he wants it. Now, against Schwartzman, it was really good. So Nadal will try to be serving the way he did against Schwartzmann. But against Djokovic's return it's very likely that Nadal will have to work for everything. Djokovic, on the other hand, I think his second serve is not quite as good as it was in Australia. I think it's actually noticeably worse than it was. But he still has more uh, a, a higher likelihood to earn some free points, to get some some cheap ones, some sitters on the first ball based on his spot serving and the fact that you could expect to see him pump up his first serve to you know around around 120 at times so i know that to start the point novak will will have that upper hand but i will challenge what i'm what i'm about to say a little bit later when i talk about nadal because there's a challenge to what i just said the second thing or the third thing this this would be is contact point, and this comes down to the low bounce and the conditions. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the bounce when I do this preview, because the way that Nadal has often drawn discomfort out of Novak and, and coaxed unforced errors is by disrupting Djokovic's contact point largely on the backhand side, and he's done that with variety of height and spin. But in order to do that, what Nadal has needed is he's needed his heavy topspin, mostly his heavy topspin backhand down the line, but also with his forehand. He's needed his high loopy heavy topspin ball to actually bounce up high, up high to a point where Novak either needs to retreat um, to or move forward and take the ball on the rise, or if he can't do any of that and he can't get his feet in position, well now he's hitting it high over his head. And he's done that to find forehands, attackable forehands, because it's not that you end the point by breaking Novak's contact point, by getting it down low, by getting it up, up high. What you do is you get a weaker ball that Nadal can use his forehand to attack. So he has largely used that high loopy topspin, then used the backhand slice down the line to move Novak in. And you can see just the variation of depth and spins. Moving Djokovic north-south, so back and forth, up and back, not side-to-side, that's different. And I'm not saying Nadal doesn't move Djokovic side-to-side. I'm just saying that's not what I'm talking about right now. Um, Because these courts are not bouncing high, because of the change to the Wilson ball, Novak is probably going to have an easier time protecting his contact point. And that will allow him to hit stronger and deeper and more consistent backhands. So the question is, how will Nadal find attackable balls? How will Nadal find his forehands to attack? He's going to need to find a pattern that works. He's going to need to find a pattern from neutral that is going to, to, to generate the shots that he's looking for. Now, it might just be... It might just be finding the, the forehand down the line and opening up the court that way. But I think he's going to have to just do the same things that he always does to Djokovic on clay. And he's going to have to hope that it works because uh, we'll see. Again, he's gonna. this is going to be about adjusting and improvising because of how um, different these court conditions are. We'll see how he does it. But I do need to address the bounce. And that does work in favor of Novak. The last thing I'll address... In in Djokovic's favor is nerves. The last time these two took the court for a major final, it was Rafa Nadal who was incredibly nervous and Djokovic who was very calm. It's just been a theme for Novak Djokovic ever since he came back from his walkabout in 2017 and came back strong in 2018 or midway through 2018. He's just been so calm, under pressure, and so good in the big moments. It's just been a constant. So that will always be in Novak's favor. I I guess the question is, does Philippe Chatrier eliminate that? And I, I know that Djokovic will handle his nerves well, or at least I'm quite certain. You can't know anything for sure. I'm quite certain that Djokovic will handle his nerves well but will he have an advantage over nadal with all the things nadal has accomplished in paris with all of the the basically the things that he can look to and draw confidence from the fact that he is a you know the fact that he's a an 11-time champion um is that going to neutralize any kind of confidence issues that might arise during the match It very well met. Moving on to Rafa Nadal and the things that will make him dangerous in this one. And I want to start with the, I'll call them zero through four rallies. Because I talked about Novak's serve. And Djokovic's serve is going to be better. It's going to be better than Rafa's. It just will. That shot. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Novak Djokovic is going to win the short points. Nadal is going to have a rebuttal. If this were on a a quick surface, if, if this were on grass or indoor hard, you could make the argument that the serve itself was going to be a really big factor. But on this surface, you can't make that argument. It's not really about the serve because there's not going to be a lot of aces. There's not going to be a lot of free points. It's going to be about the shot after the serve. That's what's going to be important. And how aggressive is that shot? And how much of an advantage can the server have off of that shot? And that's going to be about Nadal's first forehand against the Djokovic return. And of course, Djokovic's first forehand against the Nadal return. This is Nadal's best surface when it comes to returning. He can hang back and hit heavy returns. So how much plus one is Djokovic going to get? To me, it's all about the depth and how much depth Nadal gets on his returns. If he gets depth, um, considering the level of of Djokovic's plus one play, if Nadal gets depth, I'm pretty sure he's going to be able to get to neutral. On the other hand, is it true that Nadal is not going to get free points off of his serve? Yes, that is true. But he's got his forehand. So can he take... Uh, put Djokovic in uncomfortable positions off the court on the ad side and then do damage with his next forehand can he do enough to give himself a forehand to rip he's got more <clears throat> excuse me he's got more firepower in that forehand than Novak so he doesn't need to serve better he just needs to hit his first forehand better and it, and um if he returns well i think he has a chance to actually win the points zero through four. Djokovic, of course, also has a chance. That's what I'm mostly curious about. And if I'm going to be honest, and I'm not going to end it here, I have plenty more to talk about. But if I'm going to say one thing I'm uncertain about, one thing I'm not sure which way it's going to go, and I think it's going to be really essential in deciding the match, it's mainly who's going to be winning the, the quick points. Whose serve is going to be... who. And again, I say serve, but what I really mean is service advantage. I don't mean just the serve. Who's going to draw a bigger advantage from their serve? Who's going to play better plus one? Serve plus one. Serve plus two oftentimes on clay because their defense is so good. Um, And I'm not sure how that's going to go. That's going to be very important. The second thing I believe is in, in Nadal's favor, and some people might think it's in, this is in Djokovic's favor, but I, I think that Nadal is a little bit more developed and further along in creativity, improvisation, and touch. And we have seen so many players go to these attributes to try to make up for these slow court conditions. We've seen more drop shots. That's been the main thing. We've seen we've seen drop shot lob. We've seen drawing players to the net. We've seen, you know, a, a occasional, uh, I guess a lot of net play, but it's not net play in the sense where players necessarily want to go to the net always. Sure, they want to finish points at the net, but it's also just so much taking away depth, using the drop shot, to try to find offense. And that's going to be a big part of that mat- of this match. Novak is hitting tons of drop shots. Nadal has consistently mixed it in, I'd say for for a long time now and I think he's he's using it often. So that's going to be big. That's going to be that's going to be massive. And who's going to be winning the exchanges not when the drop shot is hit for an outright winner, which will happen on plenty of occasions, but Who's going to be better once they get to the drop shots? Who's going to be better once they once it comes down to playing short angles at the net and playing lobs and um du- dueling volley to volley. Who's going to be better there? Djokovic is is getting better in this area, really really fast. I I want to say, I think he's he's developing this part of his game. But I do think Nadal is still further along. And if we're going to talk about play with continental grip and who's going to hit better angles and who is going to be more solid on the volleys, I do give that edge to Nadal with one caveat. If Nadal doesn't manage his court position, and this is goes throughout the entire match, if Nadal gets pushed back, um, he's going to be in trouble. He needs to... He needs to fight the drop shot with his court position because I don't think he can fight the drop shot with his speed or his hands. He really needs to fight the drop shot with his court position. And in the same in the same respect, we talked about height of bounce. If Nadal can't push Djokovic back because Nadal's not getting any liveliness off the court, that's going to be a huge problem for Rafa. So he needs to get at least enough on his enough depth or enough bounce. He needs to move Novak back. Or he's not going to create much. I think both players should try to be pretty stubborn about their court position and try to stay up on the baseline after the return, at least. Sustained aggression. We talked about, I talked, the first thing I talked about was Novak's defense, his movement, his court coverage. When Nadal is on, is that really going to bother him? Does Rafa really ever mind playing the extra forehand? Generally not. Generally not. Usually. It doesn't matter how many aggressive forehands you ask Nadal to hit. If he's feeling good, he can hit him over and over and over again on this surface. So how how difficult will it be for Djokovic to win points from defensive scrambling positions? Possibly very hard. And for Nadal, who, yes, does not cover the court quite as well as Novak Djokovic, I think it might be a little bit easier for Nadal to get back to neutral from defensive positions. Not because... He defends better because he doesn't at this at this juncture, but because Djokovic doesn't quite have the the power from the baseline to to hold his advantage if Nadal is going to hit good neutralizing defense uh, defense. So sustained aggression is so important on this surface because oftentimes it doesn't take one, it doesn't take two, it doesn't take three, but it might take five shots. For you to win the point, and Nadal is so ready to do that. I would have liked to see Djokovic do that a little bit better against Pablo Carreño Busta, and even at times against Stefanos Tsitsipas. Um, and and he didn't. So I think the fact that I think against PCB, Djokovic went to net, and that's great, and that's kind of how he he dealt with PCB's defense. Then against Tsitsipas, I think he. He really used his depth to bother Stefanos' backhand and and draw the error. But I still haven't really seen Djokovic hit sustained aggression from the back um, in a way that is conventional, in a way that that I'm confident that he can really hit through Nadal's defense from the back of the court consistently. So with offense at a premium... Because it is on this court. With offense at at a premium. And when both players have a lot of time. Variety and power and adjustments are probably going to decide this. Again, there are a lot of things that I'm not really sure how they're going to play out. But when I really think about what's going to happen here. I really like when you need consistency. And by the way, I think in the lung busting, here's one thing also in favor of Nadal. If Nadal needs to do a little bit of lung busting, I I think that also might go in his favor. That's another one, though, that it's not clear cut. Djokovic could have that. Um, But with the court playing as slow as it is, it's going to take a lot of variety. It's going to take a lot of chess, but it's also going to take tools And one of those tools is power. One of those tools is just the brute force that Nadal can generate on the forehand. And Djokovic has every other tool that Nadal has to try to generate offense. I think he's a little bit weaker in the volleying department still. But his volleys have been really good in this tournament. But the forehand is the one thing. If Nadal's playing his best, that's the one weapon that I think Djokovic will miss. And when it comes to Nadal, I think he's going to take his forehand down the line often. I think he's going to cause a lot of problems with that shot. It's going to be a lot of other things, a lot of, a lot of drop shots, a lot of variety, a lot of mind games, and it's going to be really fun to watch, but the brute force behind it is going to be important. So I'm going to go with Rafa Nadal in five sets. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope everyone enjoys the tennis. I can't wait to go over it on Monday Match Analysis. It will post early in the morning on Monday, probably around 5 a.m. on Monday. And I will also be talking to Steve Flink after the match. Um, Again, take it in. We are very lucky to see these two champions go at it for a 56th time on such a big stage. And by the way, I was just about to end the video. But Rafa Nadal looks to tie Roger Federer with number 20, and somehow that storyline is going under the radar. History on the line, slam tally, two great champions on a great clay court. 2020, with all the hardships that everyone has been through, it is nice to have this. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.